Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined with Dr. Kenneth Howell, and uh, we welcome you to the program. And again, remind you, if you would, to join us on deepinscripture.com. Send us an email at dis at chnetwork.org. That's the website for the Coming Home Network, chnetwork.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you because we do pray that, that our, our reflections here are encouragement to you. We're looking at the book of Romans. And Ken and I are just slowly looking at it. We chose Romans because not only do we believe it's an important book for Catholics and non-Catholics to study together, uh, but in our day and age, uh, we believe that this book has so much to say. And uh, it's important to look at it, and particularly in today's passage, in Romans, the end of Romans chapter 1 and on into chapter 2, um, it's hard not to hear the things that Paul is referring to as descriptions of the world in which we live. And uh, Ken, you and I are both spring chickens, but you know, I, I do remember a time when I was much younger that some of the things that are happening in our present world that are being promoted as lifestyles, um, even to the point where if we're critical of these lifestyles were called intolerant. These things we never would have dreamed when we were younger would have changed so much. And in the point for our study today, I want to begin with a statement that God so loved the world that he not only revealed himself to mankind, but he gave mankind the freedom to respond. As I said last week, every single human being has been created in the image of God and through the death and resurrection of Christ has been redeemed, everyone. Every person has within their conscience a desire for God, or as St. Augustine put it, our minds are restless until they find their rest in thee. And so we have people all over the world with this desire for God seeking to fulfill that desire. And without revelation, they end up, though sincerely, sometimes going in wrong directions, filling that void with other things. In God's love, he revealed himself to humanity in three ways, through his creation all around us, and we talked about that in part of Romans chapter 1, to his chosen people Israel, and I think, Ken, he'll come back to that in chapter 9 in Romans, and then through the gospel, and this was the big part of Romans chapter 1, in Romans 1, 16 through 21, which we discussed last week, we see that because of these revelations, mankind is without excuse. As St. Paul wrote in verse 21, So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. We talked about that last week. You can get the uh, archive of the program. Today we want to discuss, continue this discussion to see in more detail what has happened as a result of the response of mankind to God. Ken, we're going to jump to an email in a moment. Did, did you have any comments on, on uh, the way that I began the program? Any thoughts on, on that for our audience? Well, just to uh, perhaps underscore this wonderful statement from St. Augustine's Confessions, the very first chapter, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. What Paul seems to be saying in this last part of chapter 1 is the utter confusion that takes place in human life and society 
when people have this deep desire, but then they turn to things that are less than God for their fulfillment and where that can lead. And we're going to explore that during the program. All right. We have an email, Ken, that comes from Jenny. And uh, she writes, Dear Marcus and Ken, last week you passed quickly by this verse. And she quotes it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men, who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. End of quote. This was in the context of God making himself clearly knowable through his creation. Now, here's her question. Does this mean, therefore, that unevangelized primitives like Native American Indians, have reaped the wrath of God for their immoral behavior, even though they had never heard of the Ten Commandments or the Gospel. Thank you, Jenny. Well, Ken, this has been a big question throughout the history of the church, debated by many theologians. Isn't that not true? Oh, yes, it, cer it certainly has. It's the question of, you know, the culpability of those who've never heard the Gospel. And, and what is their, their culpability. Um, there's one thing that's real clear in, in Paul's uh, theology that's in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, and that is that God judges each according to his works. And it says that very clearly in, in chapter 2. Um, when, when Paul says, uh, this is in chapter 2 in verse 6, he says, for he will render every man according to his works. Now, that's an interesting statement with regard to the theology of justification. But in this regard, what it means is that God always remains just according in his judgments. And he does not judge people for what they are not guilty of. What are they guilty of? Well, I think what, what we see in the passage in today, particularly in verses uh, 26 and 27 is that in a way we can see God's judgment upon sin as being a natural result of the sin itself. In other words, when people, let's say, engage in um, uh, drunkenness and excessive use of alcohol and so forth, well, the, the problem becomes what? Well, the problem becomes the alcohol itself. Or people engage in sexually immorality, uh, let's say high levels of promiscuity, there's all kinds of problems that come from that. And therefore, you see, it's in the action itself that has its own consequences. So it's not as if God is up there with a big, uh, you know, thunderbolt ready to crash down upon people. It's the very structure of creation itself, when obeyed properly, leads to happiness and goodness. But when disobeyed and violated leads to bad consequences and that in a way is is the consequence um, God holds people according to the catechism and according I think based upon scripture God holds people accountable for what they know of the truth and to live it those who've been privileged like the ancient Jews had more to be responsible had a greater level of culpability or responsibility we who are Catholics because we know the fullness of the faith have a greater responsibility to follow the truth. And we'll talk more about that next week when we get into the rest of chapter 2, those who have the law and those who don't have the law and how they'll be held accountable with their consciences, bear witness 
to into the truth. We think about the American Indians who had never heard the gospel, we presume, uh, but yet in their own religious practice, responding to the seed of God within them, uh, they had morality. They had developed a morality as in response mm-hmm. to their conscience. Mm-hmm. And uh, the God holds them accountable how they live according to their conscience and what they've been given. That doesn't mean that we don't take the gospel to them, because we, I think we mentioned last week, St. Isaac Jogues and the Jesuit missionaries that went to the Huron Indians in, in Canada could have, you know, some might say, well, they could have just left them alone, uh, let them live by their consciences. Uh, others might say, well, if you go teach them the truth, then now they're more culpable. Now they're in worse shape than they were before. Leave them alone. Don't mess them up. But it was because uh, Isaac Jogues and the church are, are committed to the fact that that uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Even if we, our consciences are clear, we fail because of concupiscence. And everyone has the freedom to respond. And so we take the gospel out so that people can discover Jesus Christ, can surrender to Jesus Christ, put their faith in Christ, uh, imitate Christ, receive the graces of the sacraments, be brought into the community so they have the strength of the community, the sacraments of the community, so they can grow in holiness. That's why we mm-hmm. not only take the gospel to them, but are willing to die for it, as St. Isaac Jogues and others have done. Yes, well, absolutely. There's another side to this, too, that if God, in fact, has put an imprint of himself in every human heart, and that observation of the beauty of creation and the fact that it reflects that it must be there must be a creator what that does is then the creation has an evocative function it evokes from within something a kind of worship and that worship is either going to be directed toward the true god or towards something less than god which would be idolatry which is what what paul talks about but the fact that that is there shows up in a number of interesting stories. One in somebody like uh, Saint, is it now? Yeah, bless Kateri, Saint Kateri yep. Tekakwitha, um, who is the, the famous young um, Mohawk lady, an Indian woman, who gave her life for Christ. Uh, because. But you can see that she responded to that gospel precisely because she was so um, open in the first place. And the second thing that I'm reminded of is in the story of, as told by Bede, the venerable Bede, in the ecclesiastical history of the um, English people. He speaks about the fact that when uh, Augustine of Canterbury, or what became known as that, but Augustine came from Rome to evangelize, um, evangelize England, and he was preaching the gospel to one of the kings, the king said, you know, Life is like the bird that comes into the hall during the winter, but then he goes. We don't know where he came from, and we don't know where he's going. All we know is when he's here, we see the bird in the hall. That's what this life is like. If this religion can tell us what life is like afterwards, then we should believe in it. That's what the counselors told the king, and the king said, yes, I'll become a Christian, and was baptized. A Protestant missionary some uh, back, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago, wrote a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Hmm. It's a quotation from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, according to one translation. But the point is that when he went to the jungles, I think it was of New Guinea, um, he found people there 
who already had an openness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, just by virtue of being exposed to nature and their conscience. So the point about all those stories is that God is at work in people's hearts and lives. What he's called us to do is to complete the task that he's already begun. Grace builds on nature. You know, we go in and we Absolutely. recognize the presence of God already there. And uh, and we always speak from beside, not from above, mm-hmm. as if we're more intelligent, we're, we're more holy. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in essence, actually, Ken, that's exactly what Paul's going to get to in chapter 2 after he's given this long list of negatives. He's going to say, no, wait a second, you know, don't put yourself up there. Uh, you're equally as yeah. guilty. Uh, so when we stand beside a, a Native American who's never, ever heard the gospel, that's why Jogues and others went and lived with them, sat beside them, loved them, yeah. cared for them. Yeah, These are human beings for whom Christ died. Yeah. They're not savages. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, yeah. and thanks for that email, Jenny. I appreciate that, and we look forward to other emails. Any of you have any questions? Uh, it's hard on the radio, of course, to to do a, a scripture study when you want to cover a large section. So I'm assuming that if, if you are interested, you're looking at the scriptures yourself. Otherwise, you can go to the website and we have the planning sheet that Ken and I are using that shows the scriptures as we're discussing them. Uh, we're going to begin with backing up just a little bit to the end of chapter one that we covered last week. We covered it kind of quickly, but it forms the background to what Paul wants to say as he enters into chapter 2. And the end of chapter 1 begins in, we're going to look at verse 22 and 23, which, you know, we, we looked at God, this, this rising escalation of revelation that God has given to mankind from creation through the messages to Israel through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the revelation of the truth, the goodness um, of God are readily available. And as it says in verse 21, therefore no one is without excuse. Some people haven't received the fullness of that yet, but but they've seen the, the witness of God in creation. And so Paul says, nobody is with excuse. And so then he, but he moves into verse 22, and then, okay, how did people respond? How did mankind respond? And Ken, as you mentioned before the program, in, to a certain extent, Paul here is referring to the Gentile world, mainly to the Gentile world who have not received the revelations of God through Moses and Abraham and such to Israel or the gospel. They've had, though, the witness through creation. And so these folk as it says in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Again, between those two phrases, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You know, to me, that's a shadow of what appears often through Scripture. That's actually a quote from the Psalms. Reminds me of the Tower of Babel. You know, claiming to be wise, they became... It's the, there's something in, Ken, and you've worked in the academic world, this claiming to be wise, claiming to be wise. There's something, just, just that itself is the wrong trajectory. Because in verse 23, 
claiming to wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Well, the <clears throat> Paul uh, actually expands on this. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he's talking about the gospel and what the gospel does, he, he glories in the fact that the message that he preaches is a message of the cross. He says this in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. The very thing that saves us is also the thing that is the foolishness to those in the world. I was just listening to a, a debate online yesterday between two uh, professors at Oxford University, one of them the famous atheist Richard Dawkins, the other uh, a mathematics professor by the name of John Lennox, who is a very devout Christian and defends Christianity publicly in the academic world. But at some point in his spiel, uh, Richard Dawkins was saying something to the effect, you know, we live on this little speck in the middle of a one among many gallons disease, and a man died on a cruise, was um, was executed on a cross, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago in an out-of-the-way backwater place called Palestine, you know, and you, call it, you consider this to be the God of the universe? Well, and I, all I could think of was this text, you know, becoming thinking himself wise, he becomes a fool. And as you say, I've seen this in the academic world. Um, that's God's way, though. God comes in a stable, comes in a little baby. He comes secretly behind the scenes to show us what true wisdom really is. Now, on the positive side, <clears throat> uh, it's interesting that some in the ancient world really did, like the ancient proverb, writer of Proverbs, see the necessity of wisdom. For example, Aristotle said that the goal of science, and he meant by that true knowledge, the goal of true knowledge is not just to manipulate things in techne or technology, but to find wisdom for living. Cicero largely said the same thing. So there's an inkling that there's, it's good to be wise, but in the way that one chooses to do it, one can become a fool. And as Paul goes on to say, your mind can actually be darkened in that process. Yeah, it seems to me there's that fine line between recognizing wisdom and claiming to have it. I mean, right in that, yeah. in that fine yeah. line is the danger. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we look in the whole book of wisdom or in Sirach or other books, which in the Proverbs, you know, this idea of wisdom but it's this it's always this danger of claiming to be wise and as soon as we do that there's a tendency to put ourselves above someone and and as soon as we do that we we need to recognize the call to humility there's always that it doesn't mean that we're to just claim ourselves to be stupid but it's always to accept wisdom as a gift if we have wisdom yeah. it's always a gift that we are to be used that's to be used wisely. And this reminded me, one of the least favorite places I like to go anymore are natural history museums. I used to love them when I was a kid, but I grow to oh, really? almost just <laughs> abhor going to them because they're nothing more than um, infomercials for uh, Darwinian evolution in my mind. It just cracks me up, the things I see. Sadly, they step too far, so many things. Uh, you know, murals that show 
how mankind came from an amoeba, you know, and it's just up there for our kids yeah, to see yeah. as if that's a proven fact as opposed to a theory. And I remember the last time I well, was that's at, a good point. Mm. I was at one of them recent uh, about two years ago. And I was walking through one of the, the lower stories and they had dinosaurs and this and that. And over here they had this this model of a of this prehistoric creature that was kind of the cross between a bear and a walrus. I mean, it was just it had fins and the head of a bear. Mm-hmm. And they had this long description of what it was and where it took place in evolutionary scheme of things. And then they had a diagram of the critter. And then in that diagram, they had a half of a jawbone, and that half of a jawbone. Which bone, was the original find. That's all they got. <laughs> was, that's all yeah, they yeah, have yeah. of this critter is a half of a jawbone, but from that By half. The way, of a, you, you know, they, they, did, you, did you know that? Uh, yeah, see, <laughs> they constructed the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and there could be an awful lot of variation, and and you know, good, honest. Uh, Paleontologists know that you could reconstruct those things, but unfortunately, people coming along like accept, accepting what the media says. They just take it as, you know, uh, obvious fact that this is the way that it was. It's the same way with reconstructing any kind of evolutionary history. Well, you, you with your extensive science background, that's quite a statement that you would, that you would, uh, not that you would question those those reconstructions. I think that's that's a good thing, but that's the kind of critical thinking. Well, it's that we in need here. To have today. It's in here, verse twenty three. In other words, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images yeah. resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles, that yeah. we we turn our focus off of the beauty, the truth, the goodness of God, and then look at other things as our models as the meaning of reality. Yeah, and, and I think uh, my mind lately has been a lot upon the, the problem of philosophical materialism, that, of course, that's what really makes an atheist an atheist, is because they believe only in the material world. It seems to me verse 23 is a biblical way of saying that, yeah. that instead of recognizing this majestic and glorious and visible being, we have the image of a man or a beast or something. All we have is the material world. And uh, we probably can't go into it today, but, boy, you talk about a futile worldview, of empty and vain worldview. It just leads nowhere. There's no basis for morality. There's no basis for human kindness as opposed to human uh, hate. Uh, if if you if you live in that kind of a world, in fact, you mentioned a little I think bit that's ago. That's what Paul is saying. You mentioned a little bit about that king that uh, Augustine of Canterbury encountered. You know, yeah. and he said, when the bird comes in, oh, you don't know where it came from, where it's going. It's just here. That's all we know. But that reminded me of a modern kind of Mother Earth type guy that I know that his view of right life is: we don't know where we came from, we don't know where we're going to. All I know is that I'm here, oh, and when yeah. I die, I'm going to be fertilizer. And I'm going to return to Mother Earth. <laughs> that what I was given. That's it. That's life, you know. And again, you know, claiming to be wise, they sadly miss the joy, the purpose, the beauty, the truth that's yeah, in creation. Exactly, yeah. The next uh, ten verses or so, twenty-four through thirty-two, eight verses, the end of one, give us a result of what happens when mankind rejects the message of God in creation, and then rejects God and replaces God for all these other false gods. 
And as you mentioned, Ken, it, it's not merely false worship, but it's a false understanding of ourselves, who we are, what's right and good, how we should treat one another. And basically, the, these verses point to a very important reality, and that is that God in his love for mankind lets us go. Let's us go. And these verses are divided into three sections with three times Paul says, therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up. Now, Ken, if you look at the Greek in that phrase, God gave them up, verse 24. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. And verse 28, uh, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Ken. Yeah. Does that yeah, mean he I doesn't th- love them? You know what it means is like the prodigal, the father in the prodigal son story. With great sadness, God sees them and watches them walk away by living a life of full of lust and dishonor. And as he says in verse twenty-eight, they did not approve God. They did not. They did not deem it right to keep him in their knowledge. So what does he do? Well, he gives them the freedom to choose what they want. Now, to me, these are some of the saddest words in the entire Bible. God gave them up or God gave them over. There does come a certain point, and we don't know what that point is. Thank God we don't, because we would say that toward the end of life, until the end of life, there's always a chance of repentance. But maybe somewhere in the secret recesses of the heart, God says, okay, you've walked this way long enough. I'm going to let you go the way that you want to go. Now, we can't presume that God has done that with people that are still living. We have to have the hope that they can change. But there is some kind of a reality that um, that God lets people go according to their desires. A good priest friend of mine once put it to me this way. He said, yeah, there can be deathbed conversions but most people die as they have lived. In other words, they've been again so ingrained, so habituated in a certain way of life and thinking that they're not open to change anymore. And it's one of the reasons, though, that that the church uh, you know, struggles with this issue of capital punishment, for example, um, the death yeah. penalty, because we're always hoping, we're always hoping that there can be conversion. Let's take a break, Ken. We'll come back just a moment, and we'll see you in a bit. Hello, I'm Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, and I'd like to tell you about my newest book, What Must I Do to Be Saved? A growing number of Christians today believe that all that is necessary for salvation is an individual's faith in Jesus. Churches everywhere proclaim this Jesus and me theology based upon a simple interpretation of John 3.16. They diminish the need for rituals, sacraments, creeds, or even membership in any particular church. But is this true? In this book, I examine how salvation has always come by being a faithful individual in the family of God, the church. For information, please go to chresources.com or call 740-450-1175. Thank you. Next. 
next time on The Journey Home. Marcus welcomes revert to Catholicism John Lillis to the show. He'll share his testimony about his journey home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Deep in Scripture is brought to you by the Coming Home Network International. We are a network of inquirers, converts, as well as lifelong Catholics helping one another grow closer to Jesus Christ. On our website, you'll find conversion stories, articles, and videos, as well as information about becoming a member and receiving our CH newsletter. Visit chnetwork.org or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody and Dr. Kenneth Howell, and we're looking together at Romans chapter, the end of chapter one and, and beginning of chapter two, and uh, we've just discussed this, the reality, just like the prodigal son being let go by his father. Um, we also see it, Ken, in uh, 1 Corinthians where, you know, a man was essentially kicked out of the church because of his immoral lifestyle. And it wasn't that the church didn't love this man. It says they gave him to Satan, I think is what the word says. But what he's hoping is that the person will come to their senses like the prodigal son and that they will recognize the results in their lives of claiming to be wise, that they have foolishly replaced God for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in verses 24 through 32, Ken, it seems that Paul uses this phrase, which is that Greek word, and I'm not sure if it has a bigger history and significance, the paradokan word, which is basically God gave them up, giving them up. Paul uses the phrase three times to describe the three different results. And and how do we interpret those three different results, Ken? Well, the first, I think, um, the first section, as you've um, outlined it here, if it's people are looking at the outline that you put online is in verses 24 to 25 because that gives us kind of the heading the general description and it says that God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts and the desires of their heart God gives you the desires of your heart Paul is saying and then this can lead to impurity and to the dishonoring of the body now think about it for just a moment why would Paul say that it leads to a dishonoring of the body? And I think the reason for that is precisely because we are material creatures. If we were angels, we wouldn't have bodies, and therefore we wouldn't be interested in dishonoring that which we don't have. But, our, but as, again, the ancient philosopher Aristotle said, we love our senses, particularly the sense of sight, and so whether it's being a scintillating view of a, uh, whether it's a, 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 an erotic uh, attention or whether it's a, maybe the taste in eating or in hearing sounds that we want to hear, we want to stimulate ourselves through our bodies. But what he says is that when people do this, when they give themselves over to sensuality in all of its forms, what happens is they end up exchanging the truth about God in a lie. They serve the creature 
rather than the creator. And that's the essence of all idolatry, is serving the creature rather than the creator. You know, we might think of places like ancient Egypt, you know, they had the pictures of the cats and they had the pictures of various kind of, and in ancient Greece they had, they had like centaurs, minotaurs, and they had these half animals, half humans kind of thing. They had all these images to be worshipped, and the Bible roundly condemns them, both old and new. But today we have, don't we have something very, very similar? Because idolatry is just what you place in the first position, what you place as your ultimate concern. So whether it's a physical thing or it's a mental thing, uh, whether it's money or whether it's a statue, makes very little difference. What it what makes the difference is that that claims your devotion and your attention. That's what Paul's describing for us in verses 24 and 25. A couple of places our Lord points out that it's what comes out of our heart that's significant um, and who we are is what we treasure in our heart. A couple of verses, you know, we could point out in that. I'm also reminded of one where John in his letter says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John refers to this battle we have of discerning the voices within us, our conscience. Um, Luther and others have always called it the world, the flesh, and the devil, trying to Mm -hmm. understand who we really are. And we have voices outside of us from a culture. We have the voice of God's revelation telling us who we are, created in his image. But we also have voices within. And some of those are ourselves, the flesh. Some of those are the enemy. And I'm reminded of of uh, Paul Harvey, the, the, the well-known radio broadcaster, very committed Christian, once did a talk on what he would do if he were the devil. And he said, the first thing I do is convince the world I don't exist. Because if (laughs) no one believes in me, then I can have the freedom to do whatever I want. And we live in a world that doesn't believe in the reality of evil. And so we have people that become convinced because of the fact that they think they're wise and they've they've rejected, exchanged the truth about God for a lie that they've come up with different understandings of who they are. And in verse 26 and 27, Ken, Paul goes into direct detail about what he means when people are drawn by the inner voice of the evil one to see themselves differently than the way God sees them. Well, you know, in, in, I don't remember the precise chapter and verse, but in Isaiah uh, God says, you know, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It's in the early part of Isaiah, maybe chapter right. 5. Right. But anyway, you know, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And I like to stress the word call there. It's not just that they're sinners, but that their minds have been so twisted as to they cannot distinguish between good and evil anymore. And the very thing that is evil, they're calling good. The very thing that is good, they're calling evil. And verse, as you pointed us, I think rightly, to 26 and 27, um, one even hesitates to speak about it today, precisely because now we're in a climate in which if you say anything 
about homosexuality being immoral or wrong. Uh, you're considered a bigot, you're considered intolerant, a homophobe, and all kinds of aspersions that are that are cast around. But Paul is very clear, isn't he? Yeah, what else he is says, he talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, he says in verse 26 that the females have exchanged their natural function for that which is not natural, that which is beyond, uh, that which is contrary to nature. And then verse 27, he speaks about the males who leaving the natural function of the female. And this is an interesting phrase. He's burned in their desire for one another. Um, Marcus, I have not done you know, a systematic study of this, but I've read several articles about the very nature of homosexuality and it appears to be motivated by different things in men and in women. In the case of women, um, it's almost a questionable whether there is such a thing as homosexuality. There's attraction to other women, but then again, of course, we all have uh, women have attractions to one another, but they're not sexualized usually, right? But in some women, they become sexualized. Right? But why do they have that? Why do they sexualize that desire? Well, obviously they have sexual desire. But the second thing is that it seems that a lot of women that are in lesbian relationships have a very deep hatred of men. Perhaps because they've been abused, sexually abused, or some other reason. Maybe that describes it. Men, on the other hand, who turned toward homosexual behavior... Maybe they do it, it seems, for a different reason. And that is, they are, and many men who have lived homosexual lives will actually tell you this, that they live in a constant state of sexual stimulation or lust. It is just all-consuming for them. And so when Paul says here in verse 27, when he chooses the word, they burn, they burn in their lust. Perhaps that's a well-chosen word. Uh, it's, in other words, they're, they're just overcome with this deep desire to fulfill this lust in their lives. In the end, what people find is that the fulfillment of lust, whether heterosexually or homosexually, what's the end result of that? The end result is often a deep frustration because it's like a drug, right? You take the drug and you take more and more of it in order to... Uh, in order to get higher and you get these higher and higher levels of of stimulation but then in the end it leaves you empty and i think that's what paul is describing here yeah receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error you know and yeah. that's you know just seems to be referring to this emptiness lack of understanding yeah. who they are um, and then uh, a, a, a crossing over to a complete other understanding of who they are. I mean, you know, we got recently a you know a five-year-old boy who was convinced he was a girl already. I mean, it was just just it's just bizarre. Yeah. It's just bizarre. And the verse you referred to back in Isaiah, I just wanted to point out, in case someone's wondering what that verse is. That's Isaiah five twenty, which just as you said, Ken, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know that? And, and, and then it reminds me of, uh, of that verse in Second Timothy where Paul says there'll come a time when people will surround themselves with people 
who will teach what they want to hear. Um, or even earlier in Romans, you know, where they cover up the truth with their own actions and what they're promoting. Um, that, you know, this gets, it's, it, it, it changes a culture. It wants to change a culture yeah. so that they can feel better about doing what they're doing. And then criticize yeah. everyone else that wants to stand up for what is true and right and good as mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. afraid of it uh, and afraid to take a stand. And this is what the scriptures say. Then in verse 28 and following, Ken, once again, Paul says that God gave them up since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a base mind and into improper yeah. conduct. Yeah. Yeah, and what happens is that it, it, Paul's words are so aptly uh, spoken here because when he says that to a base mind, it means a mind that doesn't have the correct judgments about things. Now, we can all lack correct judgment about specific things that we don't know much about. Like you know, Marcus, a lot about, a lot more about biology than I do, and perhaps I know more about language than you do. Okay. But we, we all have that problem. But what Paul's talking about here, I think, is that God gave them up to a mind that can't make judgments about how to live properly. And that's something that should concern all of us. There's a commonality, no matter what our profession, no matter what our specialized knowledge, there's certain good ways to live, and that's what we need to encourage. Paul is saying here in verse 28 that God gave them up to a base mind. And in one version, it says improper conduct. He says, and then another way to translate that is to do or to practice the things that are not acceptable. That is, they're not acceptable uh, to God. And that's all we have so much of with within our culture. Uh, just in this light, however, let's step back and remind ourselves of this fact. Paul is describing a downward stair step degradation that's going on within the culture of his time. But it was this same apostle, through his preaching of the gospel in Rome and in Asia Minor, and then his disciples who went out into Europe, that transformed Europe into not a perfect, but a largely Christian civilization. Today, it looks to our Christian eyes and ears like we're living in a really pagan culture. But let's not give up. There's hope for bringing back the truth of the gospel into our world. Well, that's the new evangelization that the church has been trying to promote in, in, uh, across the world, is that a re-evangelization mm-hmm. of people that live in cultures that at one time had the gospel, at one time been pulled from this kind of life into an imitation of Jesus, uh, living out humility and, and goodness and holiness, trying to live that way. Uh, and as you said, the church doesn't want to give up. Verse 29, however, this is, you know, the, here's a, the details of this lifestyle. All manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who do such things desire to die, deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. 
I mean, this is a description of what we see, <laughs> you know, in our culture as you know, getting to the point where people will will do these things, promote them in, in theater, in in movies, yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah. as if as if they're they're passe to feel these things are wrong. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the new evangelization, and one of the things that is very clear is that our Catholic brothers and sisters, as well as others, other Christians and other faiths, are finding creative ways, whether it's radio, particularly in the, in the visual media, are finding ways to reach into this darkness and to bring light, the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel, uh, to this situation. Now, Paul's description here is um, a an invitation to meditation on what that world is to which we're speaking. If you look at that catalog, and by the way, he gives several catalogs. You've listed some on the outline in Second Timothy 3 and Galatians 5. There's others, too, in his other letters, where he gives these catalogs of these horrible, you know, uh, pagan world. But notice what he says here, that often these descriptions are things like, you know, they're full of jealousy and anger and strife and so forth. He talks about they're, they're insolent, you know, they're inventors of evil, they're disobedient to parents. A lot of these things all have to do with broken and deranged human relationships, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, the hate the jealousy, the envy, the strife, the disobedient to parents, you know, all of these, without love, without mercy, that's what really happens to a society when it completely abandons God. These, as you say, in verse 32, you you just about, you you may give a modern sort of trans paraphrase of it. In the media and movies, they not only do them, but they approve of those who do them. And yet it's precisely this kind of world to which Paul says or that God speaks his voice of God loving the world. He loves this world, the world that's full of this kind of stuff. He still loves it. And that's the message that we have to bring back to people is the message of God's love. You know, it's funny, Ken, going back to the verse 22 where it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You drive all around the country, and on along highways, you'll find stores that are called adult bookstores. Yeah. Adult mm-hmm. bookstores, in which basically <laughs> yeah. they're doing these Corruption. things and approve the practice of them as if that's a sign of being an adult. That's a sign of yeah. maturity. Yeah. That's a sign of wisdom. That's really adolescence. Adolescent bookstores, is, yeah. if anything, you know, it's immaturity. It's people that that want to be able to do what they want to do without anybody looking on, you know. And in these lists that I've put in the outline, there's a list in Galatians as well as in Ephesians, both of which Paul is using the same similar list, but warning the people not to be drawn back into these things. In the point in those lists are that just because we've been saved, because by grace we've been open to Jesus Christ and we recognize and are repentant, it doesn't mean we've arrived. 
is that there's mm-hmm. always this draw, the voices within challenging us that if we, you know, I forget which verse it said, says clearly that anyone who desires to follow Christ will uh, receive a, the battle, uh, will be oh, challenged. Yeah, yeah. yeah, anybody, who, yeah, that's right, will be persecuted. That's what it says in, in Timothy, that's right. Yeah, and so... Well, he, there's a reminder that we have to always fight this till the day we die so that we can stand before God without embarrassment, John says in his first letter, because we will always have the tendency to be drawn back into these things. Well, one of the things I've noticed in all my years is just how incredibly difficult it is not to be influenced by the culture. And that's why it's so important for um, for Catholic parents, Christian parents, to um, protect their children in the right way. It doesn't mean necessarily to insulate them from everything, but don't nevertheless, don't throw them to the wolves either. Give them the kind of foundation that they need to deal with a very, very difficult world. But I, I really feel for young parents today because the task is much greater today than it was in our parents' generation, that is in yours and mine, Marcus, yep. who those were you know parents in the 50s and the 60s, and it was much more difficult for them today, the young people today, than it was for us, precisely because the world that we're living in. But that those the basic foundational temptations are still the same; they've not changed. And this is what Paul is referring to in in the the text you cited in Galatians 5, where it says that the works of the flesh are manifest. It's fornication, or you might say sexual impurity. It's uncleanness. It's um, it's licentiousness. It's idolatry. All of these things, it's, it's, it's use of, they translate it sorcery, but actually the verse 20 of uh, Galatians 5 could be translated, in other words, the sort of religious use of drugs, and they used to do this. In the ancient world, they would use these drugs, you see, to uh, to kind of, um, you know, work themselves up into a frenzy. Strife and, and enmities and, and jealousy and all of these things, divisions. Now, that by that's interesting. The word Greek word is hieresis, right? Hier- heresy. Heresy is a division. It's a separation. It's a schism that takes place. So it's this it's this dividing and being divided. It's dividing and being conquered. Whereas our strength lies in wholeness, in the fullness of the spirit. So the answer yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say this section that I quoted on our on our outline here, which is Galatians five, sixteen through twenty one, are the you know, we're called to walk by the spirit and not in, by the desires of the flesh, and it gives us long line of things that uh people are drawn to through the voice of the flesh, our, our passions. The next verse after this is one that we all have heard a gazillion times, such a powerful verse. And verse 22 was, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Fruit meaning that we've received the Spirit through faith and baptism. And that is the voice that tries to draw us towards holiness through grace. But if instead we're listening to the voice of our desires of the flesh, 
then the fruit of the Spirit can't grow. And if we wonder why it is, been a Christian for years, why it is my heart isn't full of that joy, peace, why I'm impatient, where's the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control that should be a part of my life as I'm walking with Christ? What's standing in the way? Well, we can look at the ways that we've fallen back into strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension. These are the things that prevent the fruit from, they're weeds. The weeds because we've chosen not to follow in the way of God. Yeah, as in the parable that we had this past Sunday in church about the weeds and the wheat, right? And they're growing and in our souls that grow together. But the while we don't pick out the as the parable says, we don't God doesn't send out the the priests and the deacons and the lay people to, to sort out the weeds from the wheat in the world. He does call us to sort out the weeds inside of our own heart. And the, what you're talking about, Mark, this is so important. In verses 22 of Galatians 5, when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth, what he's saying is that the answer to the problems of our society comes from being transformed on the inside. Now think if the Galatians were a Marxist catechism. Do you know what the answer would be? What's the problem? What's the answer to all these problems? The problem is to make a new law, right? Against all these things, to control people from the outside. But this is precisely the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that controlling people from the outside will never be enough. Yes, you have to have laws, but those laws are not the answer. They're only the, to keep people in boundaries so that they can pursue the answer. What's the answer? The answer is the inner transformation of love, of joy, of peace, of kindness and goodness. That's what Paul's going to get to in the rest of Romans, that, that life is about being transformed in Jesus Christ. Well, next week, we're going to pick up on Romans chapter 2, verses 1, where Paul takes a little bit of a different angle, because instead of just jumping into, okay, this is where the guys have gone, this is where they're going to go in terms of condemnation, he challenges us to not stand in judgment, because we are equally guilty because of our own sinfulness. So, Ken, thank you for, for joining us today on this study. And all of you listening to the program, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Look forward to being with you again next week. Join us online, deepinscripture.com, and uh, let us know your thoughts. We'd love to include your emails in the program. God bless you. Let's walk together in Christ by grace.